0: federal drive is presented by geha government employees health association proudly providing health and dental benefits to federal employees and their families visit geha.com
1: another continuing resolution looming agencies in limbo on starting new projects Some unfortunate protest rulings. No wonder federal contractors are nervous about calendar 2024. Here with one take on the situation, or several takes, federal sales and marketing consultant Larry Allen. And Larry, it looks like there's sort of weird news everywhere you look. But I wanted to start with something a little bit arcane. There was, as you're writing about compliance, three recent developments companies need to know to stay on the right side of the ledger, including when low price can get you into trouble. Let's give the thumbnails of what's going on
2: there.
0: So, Tom, these are three recent decisions that all came out of various judicial enclaves. And I think it's they are things that contractors need to know about. First up, We talk so much about low price technically acceptable in the federal government today. A lot of contractors can come away with the sometimes false impression that low price rules always and everywhere. And yet there is a recent case that showed that a company actually bid an unrealistically low amount for a potential project. Now, Tom, I've been in this business for a while, and this is certainly not the first time that I've seen this But it's an important reminder because we actually don't see it that often. If you're a government contractor and you're bidding on a project, you have to bid a reasonable price and you have to bid competitively. But that doesn't mean that you try to buy the business by coming in so low that the government just rejects your bid out of hand because they know from previous experience that they're not going to be able to rely on people to provide labor in critical areas unless that labor is compensated at a certain level. And that was what was really at the core here. The second issue that I'm talking about this week has to do with whether or not your confidential information is actually confidential. And this is something that is really front of mind and should be for a lot of government contractors, specifically, Tom, talking here about a federal uh, district court judge, So a judge that doesn't normally deal day-to-day with government contract issues, he made a ruling on a Freedom of Information Act request. The Department of Labor had originally uh, withheld information on over 1,000 companies' equal employment opportunity reports, their summary reports, citing confidentiality and important company information. Well, the petitioner for the Freedom of Information Act request went back and appealed that decision in federal court. And the court sided with the petitioner. As a result, the Equal Employment Opportunity information from over a thousand companies is going to be released. And released to who? Well, in this case, Tom, it's going to be a fellow member of the fourth estate from where you are. So, contractors may expect to see that you know their reporting uh, on their goals on this important government area may be out in the open for. Uh, others to see, their competitors to see. sure, It'll be interesting. Yeah. And it
1: always pays to venue shop when you're in court because you can get different results depending on where you go. And your third issue has to do with firm fixed price contracts that can really sink you. Tom,
0: firm fixed price contracting has been looked at, particularly in the government, as the highest good, the one to aim for in government acquisition, because that way everybody understands what the parameters are. Well, yes and no, Tom. If you're a government contractor, you have to always remember that firm fixed price bids come with inherent risk for you as the contractor. You have to be very sure that the government's got the statement of work down correctly and that you as the company understand the scope of work before you bid that firm fixed price offer. And a lot of companies understand that in the government and bid accordingly. They give themselves a little... Wheel room, if you will, and appropriately so. But however, the extreme case that I'm talking about here that should be of interest to everybody is Boeing uh, and their tanker deal. Right now, the company has lost over $2 billion. $2 billion, it's not recoverable. And as they say in old James Bond movies, Tom, it's $2 billion and counting. And that's a lot of money, even if you're Boeing. So that's a wake-up call to contractors that you should really understand what the risks are. And if you're not sure about what the parameters are, have those discussions with the client before you sign on the dotted line. And
1: let's hope those tanker doors stay shut. We're speaking (laughs) with Larry Allen, president of Allen Federal Business Partners. And I wanted to ask you about uh, your take on We've been watching the Congress, and as Mitchell Miller reported here yesterday, there was some movement over last weekend where maybe we're moving toward a CR of indeterminate length. And the really confusing situation, and if a CR were to go through March, that's essentially half the fiscal year, and contractors have got to be just not happy about this any more than their agency customers are.
0: Tom, I think that's fair to say. This is really no way to run a government. You know, we have been hoping to see appropriated bills for FY24 in December. Certainly February was not unrealistic to expect. Now we're being told that it'll either be, I think, March 1st or March 8th or 9th uh, before we get all of the bills together. And if you listen to Tom Cole over on the House side, he's kind of hinting that they may even need a longer time to read through all 12 appropriations bills on their side of Congress. So I think that's something that should be of concern to everybody. Uh, It does not set up uh, the government or contractors for a very good uh, FY24. You know, at best, you know, if Congress does pass these bills in uh, March, It'll be you know early to mid-April, Tom, before each uh, individual federal office gets its final number for the remaining months of the fiscal year, and then we're really going to see a tremendous amount of activity and churn. And you know what happens when anybody has less than half the amount of time needed to do the job right? Well, you're going to have mistakes made. You're going to have things that need to get done that don't quite get done. You're going to have a lot of missed opportunities, a lot of missed opportunities in government business, a lot. And when you're talking about funding critical government programs and moving forward, it's not just, oh, gee, you know, we didn't get to go to the Taylor Swift concert. It's something that's going to have a little bit more national impact than that. Uh, Sorry to all the Swifties out there who listen to your show. But, you know, there are some priorities out there that, Uh, may not get done. And that's a real issue. And then, of course, we'll have the oversight hearings uh, next year on why that happened. Nobody really is going to say, but they should. Well, well, Congressman, if you pass the bills on time, this might not have happened.
1: Yeah. What we can expect, if there are appropriations at the March- deadline. Again, we don't know what it is yet. That's going to mean very busy contracting officers. The COs, the 1102s, get a lot of work dumped on them late in the year. And for vendors, it becomes a matter of finding a contracting officer that has the capacity to take on what it is you need for your program to buy.
0: Well, that's right. I think we're going to be seeing uh, two things, Tom. First, every bit of work that can be done on a project up until the actual execution of the RFP or RFQ is going to be done. So if you're waiting for the funds to come out as a contractor before you talk to your agency, you're gonna be way behind the curve because I think a number of federal agencies are gonna have projects that are, to you borrow an older phrase, shovel ready uh, to get going the second they get the appropriations in their accounts. Uh, What we're also going to see is, you know, just accelerated use of assisted acquisition services. There are only so many contracting officers in government to go around. And we've seen already the assisted acquisition operations in the General Services Administration, the Department of Interior, and even over at NIH, all increase in popularity before this happened. every person with a government contracting warrant is going to be busy from probably the middle of April to September 30th.
1: Larry Allen is president of Allen Federal Business Partners. As always, thanks so much.
0: Tom, thank you, and I wish your listeners happy selling. We'll
1: post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Keep up on your schedule. Subscribe to the Federal Drive wherever you get your podcasts. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before.
3: Is important so that all voices and ideas are heard. So I like to call it our North Star. Having a people-first culture really starts with the people in order to get our incredibly difficult mission accomplished. In terms of leadership, which is a great question, I think we all know that culture is really driven by leadership and the, the behaviors that we allow and we uh, you know, uh, reinforce in our leaders' So we really work at making sure that our leaders are bringing out the best in their people every day. So again, that they feel they can bring their voice, especially an opinion that might not go along with the majority of a group, so that we get that diverse perspective, we get those different ideas and experiences. And that's really where we find that it's important that leaders are purposefully bringing out their talent on their teams to enable our mission.
2: Excellent. We're we're going through a, a culture project at our work. Oh great. Yeah. It's um it's been six months in the making and it's going really well, but it is work. Yes. And it requires from the top down. So I'm I'm also involved in that. I hear you. Great. Throughout your career you piloted many different talent management programs, including at NASA, the CIA, the FBI, just to name a few, and you have an amazing career. What have you learned or how have you might have changed along the way in creating and leading those programs?
3: Yes, and I, I, I am so honored to have had a career in public service across multiple federal agencies, always in the realm of human resources and workforce performance. And I think because I study organizations and people in them, I've come to realize, particularly in the federal government, that many of our programs are really grounded in the industrial era thinking, that this is organizationally structured in a hierarchy with boxes and lines on charts, uh, with the center being around jobs and what do we need to get this job done in terms of skills and training. And what I found is that we're really not in the industrial era anymore where we would promote the smartest people who knew that work and they would then tell the people on their team how to do things and oversee that work. We're now in a digital era and the information era where work gets done collaboratively across geographic boundaries and certainly across org charts. So uh, we like to call it networks um, or hierarchies. And we really need to, again, unleash people so they can find those other people who are working on similar problems or have the right ideas. And so I really like to think of our work now in the talent programs being human-centered It's more about the user and the experience than about the rules and regulations. So although we have to have rules and regulations, certainly in human resources, is that person experiencing what they need and getting what they need for their role at that time? So not so much on the job, but on the person. So, for example, we're recruiting. What's the applicant experiencing? Because if they're not having a good experience with our organization from the time we're recruiting them, they're going to go work for somebody else. Same thing with like first-time supervisors. We know they need certain training, but telling them to sit in a class for one week and then hope a year from now they'll remember what they learned to apply, that's not really human-centered. The human-centered is what do they need when they need it? and building modules or or just-in-time training and bringing that to the people, to that user, as they need it. So that's really, I think, the most important focus of talent programs today in this era to enable the workers to be the best they can be in their their roles.
2: Excellent. New thinking. Um, This is always an interesting question. Has there been a time when, as a leader, that you've made a mistake?